Hi there, friend. My name is John Werner. I used to be a part of the largest cult in the United States. After studying the Bible, Christian history, and ministry, I set my sights on confronting the problematic nature of white evangelicalism in the United States. In 2019, I published my first book as a first step in addressing the subtle issues of this complex system. This podcast will continue that work under the same title. Welcome to The Cult of Christianity. Content warning. While the cult of Christianity often deals with tough subjects regarding religious trauma and other triggering topics, some episodes may be more explicit than others. This episode contains content that may be distressing to some listeners. This may include multiple mentions of self-harm, suicide, sexual abuse, or other intense concepts. Please only listen if you are in the headspace to do so. Take care of yourself. The United States, like every society in the world, remains a patriarchy. We are ruled by men. This is not just because every country, minus Rwanda, has a majority male national parliament, and it is despite the handful of countries with women as heads of state. The system starts at the level of the family and bleeds into the political arena. The gender of top political leaders is not the most comprehensive indicator of patriarchy, but it does highlight one obvious pattern. The higher you look, the more male it gets. Additionally, if our country changed to having a secure female-dominated authority structure for an extended period of time, that would not automatically end the patriarchal system of the U.S. This is perhaps the most misunderstood and frustrating element of patriarchal systems. While diversity or attempts at a uh, gender-inclusive type environment Um, That does naturally breed positive reforms, but it does not eradicate a safeguarded hierarchy that was simultaneously intentionally and incidentally designed to preserve the power of men. While I can certainly comment on different elements of this structure, I think it is wise in any discussion to primarily listen to those who experience the negative effects of a system first. That is why I decided to invite three of my female friends to join me. So, welcome to the podcast, Amelia. Hello. As well as uh, my friend, Sierra. Hey. And my friend, Lily, who y'all have met before. Hi. Uh, We have assembled the Avengers of Women, and we are ready to get to business. So, uh, first question. It seems that um, when you think about patriarchy in America... Uh, the first thing that uh, comes to mind is probably the political uh, arena. So, um, you know, there's thousands of examples from reproductive rights uh, to election results and uh, just overt sexist rhetoric um, that testify to this patriarchal system. So anyone can answer this. I just want to uh, put it out there for the group. Have any of y'all experienced sexism um, in any political conversations? I actually really struggle to think of an example of this in my life. Um, I have like a ton uh, in other areas, but yeah, Amelia or Lily, do either of you have something that really stands out? Personally, 
um, it's harder for me to think of conversations um, that involve politics that do not involve gender or sexism. Uh, it seems to be a default that I am a woman, so therefore it, it will have to involve gender and sexism. So I'm trying to find conversations that don't. I'm not sure if it's if there's any that stick out in my mind because it's been so normalized. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I mean, I feel like, um, like okay. So as an introduction to me, I'm a transgender woman. Um, I feel like pretty much a lot of conversations I have in that context are just political from the get go because it's like my gender is sort of politicized. So it's like even just a lot of very mundane conversations kind of take on a political edge where like a lot of, I think people's sexist assumptions sort of come out. I don't know, everywhere from like seeing, seeing people's views of gender being expressed um, against my identity um, happens in a lot of ways or um kind of assumptions about how women act like because I'm like pretty I'm gender non-conforming in more ways than just being trans and I think that um I, I experience a lot of people's assumptions about women even when they're not being used sort of at me in like a shut up you're a woman you don't know about this way I think there's a lot more subtle and insidious ways that this happens um uh, that's kind of just what I think of when you ask me that question because of how politicized I tend to be from the get-go in conversations. <laughs> I think that's such a valuable way of framing it because, uh, again, when I talk about politics, I kind of have the privilege of just talking about any subject without much fear of repercussion, no matter what side of an issue I might fall on. Um, but to have my uh, one of the very core um, elements of my identity to be up for debate is clearly a um, a hard thing to wrestle through for anyone. And and it, I, I actually am just kind of being uh, awakened to my privilege in this area because I, I, you know, while there might be some anti men rhetoric here or there on some online forums, that doesn't mean like in the in the actual legal system, people are really debating things that solely have to do with uh, my gender. Um, that's got to be very tough. I'm I'm sorry that I'm sorry that it is framed like that and not just as a simple instances of anything happening. Unfortunately, even opening up those conversations or attempting to combat questions or assumptions is difficult because no matter how badly you have points to make and things to say and how badly you want to be involved in those conversations, you are already invalidated from the get-go. You already have to prove that you have something to say and that it should be listened to. And that's, it's, it's easy, I think, for someone to hear that and just think, oh, that's because you just think that everyone hates women because you're a woman or whatever. And it's actually, I mean, yes, but um, it's actually more subtle and insidious than that. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that come through that um, what women think or um, say isn't because of their own experience. It's because it's what they are 
taught to say and told to say. And even that is kind of coming from that mindset. It's like, so you, you really, really don't view us as having our own voice. Got it. And so when that's just kind of a constant um, rhetoric that you kind of run into, it's often just less emotionally taxing to just be like, all right, you're allowed to think whatever you want to think. I'm going to, I'm going to do the opposite and go over here. I'm wondering if I could maybe put the question another way. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, um, you're right that we shouldn't just um, take this, uh, this form, so to speak, of women being oppressed in the political arena and then uh, purely back it up with anecdotes because people can deconstruct um anecdotes any way they want to and try to invalidate points but uh is there like a hypothetical scenario or a um online conversation or something you've read where it's just been so crystallized for you that wow my gender affects how this opinion is received i have often and i have no question honestly that both amelia and sierra can probably attest to this as well but i have often encountered being told why I uh, think a certain way or why I perhaps want things done to me or have my life interrupted, you know, because I am told that I think certain things. Um, and honestly, some of them are, are more graphic than I would really like to go into um, for really for, for uh, listeners comfort, we can kind of discuss how far we would want to get into that. Um, but it's just kind of, uh, if you try to speak up about, you know, hey, here's why I think this about, uh, you know, like sexuality or appearance or um, self-expression, and then uh, you can get told, you know, you just think that because you didn't have a father figure and you didn't have uh, anyone to teach you you know, how to value yourself or how to respect yourself. And it's like, well, actually, I know that you arrogantly don't think this, but what you just told me is that you place value on my father over me and my sexuality and my body over me. I don't think that at all, but you certainly did just reveal that to me. So it's not even a conversation that I want to be involved in anymore. Yeah, I think that's why I don't really have many examples. Like, it's a mixture of not just... Um, the way I was treated probably because I am a woman, but the whole me spending most of my life heavily involved in very, very evangelical Christian circles that when I first started trying to ever see if I could even share my opinions in an online place um, or in person, it was always met with so much disrespect and questioning and unable to see nuance or have a conversation. So I've honestly just kind of given up. And with COVID, like I don't really see people or talk to too many people. So most of my political conversations are with my husband and those are great. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I am uh, very close friends with Sierra's husband and we have uh, political conversations where he uh, puts me in my place sometimes. And he is, he is a wonderful advocate. Um, I will say uh, Lily, I think one of the things you said, uh, I think um, succinctly put is just that the whole idea of women in politics, the, uh, the cues and the conversations and the nuance in it, 
seems to depend on a patriarchal structure like you're talking about like well that's how your father raised you or that's this or that's that and you're you're kind of spot on because it's not um always oh i disagree with that woman's opinion it's the fact that we have to say that woman to begin with or we're compelled to say that woman to begin with the default settings of our political landscape seem to favor whatever a man says is going to have more weight and that is why, unfortunately, there's some kind of um, kind of baby feminism that I really cringe at, like girl boss or, you know, woman scientist or uh, herstory, you know, and it's just, you know, you're, you're still accepting uh, masculinity or rather patriarchy, I should say, as the default. And, you know, I, I already have to fight for my, you know, humanity as a woman. It's like, all right, well, I'm, you know, I have an opinion, not as a woman, it's because I have an opinion. It's not because someone gave it to me, or it's a reaction to anything. It's because I have an experience just like anyone else. Very well put. It's actually funny you bring up girl boss, because uh, that might actually uh, transition nicely into talking about patriarchal systems in business a little more. Um, I looked up some stats uh, and, uh, you know, these are general and can be found in more than one spot. Um, you know, the, the uh, one uh, it seemed to cross the board. Women typically uh, receive 7% or less of venture funds for their startup. Um, even though women had a 65 point or excuse me, 69.5 success rate of crowdfunding for their business, while men had a 61.4%, uh, which basically... Uh, women who go um, into business looking for funds do better if they crowdfund than if they go to banks. Um, Additionally, uh, female entrepreneurs ask for roughly $35,000 less in business financing than men. And overall, men received an average loan size of about uh, $5,000 more than women. And so women working full-time in the U.S. are paid somewhere around uh, $0.80 to every dollar. Um, that is earned by men. And though women outpace men in higher education, women also hold two thirds of student debt in the United States. And the pay gap even follows women into retirement. Um, They receive less in social security and pensions. Uh, Typically, they are earning in their uh, social security and pensions 70% of what men do. And some have argued that statistics concerning loans or wage gaps uh, for working women is not sinister. It's just a natural consequence of men and women being interested in different fields. And this oversimplification could maybe bring some comfort if you want to uh, view life rather simplistic, uh, simplistically. But it doesn't seem to be honest because uh, some women might, you know, be more likely to volunteer for duties, at least generally or statistically speaking, um, that, you know, might earn less money somehow. But that is likely because of this whole structure we're talking about men are more likely to ask women to earn do things that earn less and uh, a 2015 meta-analysis of experimental studies of gender and hiring found that men were preferred for male-dominated jobs whereas no strong preference for either gender was found in female-dominated or integrated jobs and a 2018 audit study found um, that high achieving men were called back more frequently by employers than highly achieving women at a rate of nearly two to one. And thankfully, some research has shown that the United States um, has significantly less uh, direct discrimination in wages than it used to, meaning if there's a man and a woman working the same job, typically they are paid the same. But 
it uh the patriarchal system still leaves many women playing catch up simply because of their gender now there's a lot we could talk about here as far as capitalist structures the nature of work uh exploiting labor there's a lot of different fields on this issue but kind of uh trying to shrink down and zoom in on the issue more generally speaking, have any of y'all just experienced uh, sexism at work or in starting your own business venture? I can tell some stories. I would love to hear some stories, Sierra. Well, one thing, so um, like I, I started working when I was 15. Um, and then when I started college, I, at 17, got my first like job that was more professional. Like I've always been in media and communications. Um, and so for basically the past 10 years, all my jobs have been, um, more on that, in that professional arena. Um, but at the same time, all of those jobs have been for either Christian universities and colleges for Christian parachurch organizations. Um, every, everything has been related to, evangelical Christianity. So it's very um, interesting flavor. Um, And one thing, if I were to say, like the overarching issue that I've seen throughout my time um, in that community is that most men um, decide that they, they're not just your boss. Um, They have some kind of weird father, brother, mentor, pastor role in your life being a woman that they don't give to the, their male counterparts. Um, and they try to like give advice and, and oversee you. And so, um, before I like say a couple stories about that at my uh, job that I got after college, I want to throw in that probably the most, um, overt sexist thing that I have ever been told was, um, I went to Moody Bible Institute in Spokane uh, I started dating Chris and there's this one um, professor who always was like really interested in who you were dating or whatever. I don't know. He asked me, I told him, I said, I'm dating Chris Lauks and Chris like wanted to at that time go into being like a worship pastor. He was a part-time worship leader at some really small church making like zero money. Um, and this professor knew that I was looking at going into marketing Um and so straight up told me, oh, you, your husband will never be happy with you if you make more money than him. Off, uh, when we are not recording, I need to know which professor that is, but we won't throw him under the bus for right now. Um, but uh, that's atrocious. That's truly horrifying because, uh, one, uh, I know Chris. <laughs> That is uh, just not a good characterization of him at all and kind of uh, assuming a lot about men. Um, and and two, like what you're going into marketing and I know from uh, knowing you, most of your marketing has been for uh, Christian things. So like how how dare he uh, cross that line? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So then uh, when I graduated, I, I got a job with publishing, but specifically for a Bible app that they had. And I'm, I'm no longer there. Um, there are plenty of good things I could say of, that I learned from that job. And I'm really am thankful, I'll say at the beginning, just because um, I do have a much more honestly lucrative and healthy position now somewhere else because of 
that opportunity. But oh my, um, my manager oversaw uh, me and, and two other women. Um, for a minute, there was a another man on our team who I would have been a peer with. I found out that he was making significantly more money than me. Um, I mean, he had been there a few years more, but significantly more. And he didn't have a college degree, unlike me. So I was really confused how like that even happened. And then there is this very big dynamic difference between the way that my manager would interact with um, this male coworker when he expressed ideas or pushed back versus me. When it was with him, it was like, um, you know, kind of they would get bristled with each other. They would kind of, you know, have difficulty communicating and were, were kind of angry and standoffish. And when I would stand up for myself, I was met with like belittling and being told it wasn't a big deal. Um, something I can never get out of my head was that, you know, oftentimes I was, I was, I was running the show and I brought a lot to this team into this whole company and it was too much. And I would stand up for myself and say, this is too much. Um, and be a little emotional sometimes because it was to that point. Um, and my manager literally told me like, I got, I know your MO, you're going to be stressed now, but you'll be fine later. I'm like, so what does it take? Like you, if I'm not emotional and I tell you this is too much, you don't do anything. If I get emotional and I tell you this is too much, you tell me you're just overreacting. So what do I need to be doing? Like crying the whole time at my desk while trying to work. And then you're going to do something like, then you're, what are you, it's, I know you're not going to do something just because of that either. Like it felt like you can't win. Um, and all the time he was taking credit for my work. He was saying our team made these successes when there were things that I was doing, he would say, Oh, I'm going to present like a project that I created. He was going to present it to the leadership team on my behalf. Um, and then like he also would like talk about like Chris as if they were like buddies. They had never met, but it was this strange thing of like, as if because they're both men in my life that he obviously has some connection to Chris is like, they're both over me or it was so odd. Like he's, he was trying to act like he was like my pastor, um, but he was just my boss. Um, he took it in to his responsibility to make sure that I was going to church. Um, and then the last thing that I have about that, that really just made me super upset was published a book, um, called that's what she said, what men need to know and women need to tell them about working together. So obviously very, like, it's not just like men suck. It's like both years, you know, we're trying to be even handed And literally this place where I was mostly men, they all left the book on the shelf. We were given free copies. They were like, this is bullshit, basically put it on the shelf, made fun of the book. My boss made fun of the book to my face. And I'm like, so what is the connection here? That because we're all Christians, you assume we're all Christians, then we're all going to be against this book that just happens to talk about women in the workplace. Like I just, I, I just never expected that I would experience so much of this. Yeah, uh, I can feel um, feel uh, feel the fire of uh, what that probably like caused in in you, and what it would cause in any sane person. Um, I certainly would not be able to handle a workplace like that. Um, that made me feel those ways. Um, 
pretty overtly too, not even that subtle. Can I just say it's literally illegal for your boss to tell you to go to church, first of all? Um, so, I mean, I have just like a few quick little kind of like token stories um, that just kind of echo that disgusting experience. I mean, a few of them happen actually at the same job and none of them were even jobs I cared about. You know, a lot of them were retail jobs and thankfully I don't work with the public anymore. And that's really kind of what saves me from it. Um, I remember um, having a department manager when I was, I don't know, 19 or 20. He happened to know that I identified as a Christian. And um, I remember him sending me a long email telling me how he could tell um, based on whatever problems he had with my closing the previous night that I was not a good Christian. And he gave me a scripture reference, like scriptures to reference. Um, And, you know, they were kind of what I'm sure you could expect as far as, you know, doing your work diligently and as to the Lord and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I mean, I, I sent it to HR and they really, they were like, oh yeah, that's kind of a problem. He really shouldn't talk like that to people. Um, but you know, he's old. It's just kind of how, that's just how he is. Um, and it's just such a normalize. And I'm like, no, (laughs) that's incredible. Um, this is not even a, a Christian organization. This is a, a public retail store. Um, and a very large one at that. It's across the U S it's not even like a small town thing. Um, it was it was Lowe's, by the way, and it's it's you know it's so wide, no one can no one cares, I'm sure, um, you know. And then working in another department in that store, um, in, in the paint department, it was pretty common to hand out, um, you know, we would hand out paint sticks to the store or whatever, and it was pretty common to get comments back like, "Oh, thanks, this is what I'm gonna uh, use to slap your ass later," um, and you know, or. Uh, I would ask someone, you know, oh, hey, sir, how are you doing? Can I help you find anything? And he'd be like, no, I just come here to scope out all the pretty girls. And uh, one time, uh, just because I was feeling it, I said, you know what? That's why I come here, too. And this man, like, lost his mind at me. He was like, no, that is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to look at the boys. Only the boys, never the girls. And this is, like... This was like a boomer customer at my store. And I'm just like, okay, have a good day. You know, like, I'll just go like shoot myself in the face. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, and that was just like typical. um, And it's just exhausting. Um, It's just day in, day out. You just have to, you know, you have to expect that this stuff is going to be said to you and reporting it to HR, you know, is a department manager. It's just a cultural thing. He doesn't care. Like, that's just how he is, you know? And, and it's like, seriously, you are putting these men in charge of people. And then you also expect that they just can't help themselves. That's just how it is. Get over it. Stop, you know? And then, you know, the same exact department manager would talk to, um, Customers, I happened to work in the uh, in the window treatment section, so we would, you know, like help design um, window treatments, blinds, curtains, blah blah. And um, there would be things like uh, like um, a wife would bring up the the cost or be concerned about the cost of of an installation or any materials or something. And, um, you know, my department manager would say, "Oh no, honey, that's for your husband to worry about. You just pick out what color you like." And, um, and my jaw would drop and I was shocked that no one was saying anything. These customers weren't saying, excuse me, I'm leaving your store now. Um, it was just like, 
Oh, yeah. You know, and, you know, unfortunately, these women probably this is just another thing that they dealt with, you know, every day in a day out, too. Um, but and this was a regular thing that he would do and tell me like, oh, you know, the the, the men are going to be concerned with how much it costs, because obviously they're the ones paying for it. Right. Um, so the women, you know, definitely talk to them about what materials and what colors they like, because, of course, that's all that women can contain in their pretty little brains. Um, and uh, men are always so surprised at how well I know my way around a department store um, or not a par department store. I'm sorry, like a, a hardware store, because I worked in one for so long. I know where everything is, you know, not everything, but it's just like people just kind of pity me or kind of like talk down to you like, oh, isn't it so sweet that you're here? And it's like, man, you know, fix your own toilet. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just, um, yeah, it's just a cultural thing that just kind of goes along with being a woman. And unfortunately, it plays a very real into part, a real, a very real place in job searching. Um, you know, I tried on purpose to try to work, um, you know, before COVID to try to work at a place that you'd have to have a badge to get into the building because I was so tired of dealing with disgusting things all the time being said to me. And I remember working um, uh, for Verizon in one of their retail stores and I would have the same things happen to me. I remember having one specific coworker. I worked at three different Verizon stores and I had one coworker who was literally like my age um, start insisting on calling me little lady in front of customers. Like he and I would both be doing a sale at a desk next to each other and we'd be working our customers, pitching our sales. And he started referring to me as little lady and um, obviously undermining my professionalism and my job. And, you know, I had it and I started calling him little man during the exact same sale and, you know, anytime he would call me a little man or a little lady, I was like, you know, no problem, little man. Here it is over here. Obviously, he did not like that because that's not normal for him. So, um, you know, after we had finished our sales and the customers left, I asked him to come into the back room with me. And I asked if he would like me um, to grab our store manager or if he felt comfortable talking to me alone. Um, and he's like, I feel comfortable talking to you. Like, what do you mean? I don't need anybody. And I was like, all right, that's great. You need to listen to me very closely. We are both equal employees here. You will not refer to me with demeaning terms. We are going to refer to each other as equal respect and do our jobs. That will not happen again. Do you understand? And it's just, it's exhausting and scary to put yourself in that situation because I wasn't working in a, in a good part of the city. I was living by myself and I was 22 and I'm 5'4 and, you know, I'm a pretty small person. And it's just, it sucks that like, I, I, it's so infuriating that you get pushed into these corners of then, you know, and then unfortunately you kind of, you bite back and then you're called all these other names, um, you know, because this must just be like a, a feminist trope that you're falling into, right? It's like you're, you're gaslit into a certain personality. That sounds like gaslighting um, exactly the way you're describing it. Uh, before I move on from this, I did want to ask Amelia if there was, it doesn't have to be necessarily a specific story, but any uh, any um, way you relate to some of what's been said so far? Definitely. Um, I do work in a public facing retail environment. And um, it's interesting because I've been at this job for long enough now that um yeah, sort of, I, I went from, you know, having a, a degree of conditional male privilege to 
you know, watching as gradually, you know, customers feel, you know, more comfortable commenting on my appearance, more comfortable touching my body, more comfortable, you know, making advances, asking for my number, all this stuff that, you know, doesn't happen to people who are read as men. And, you know, over the course of transitioning and being read as a woman, you know, the majority of the time, um, getting to watch, you know, progressively more and more misogyny happening to me over the course of time and realizing that, oh, you know, this person is treating me differently because, uh, differently than how I would expect even maybe, um, because of my gender. And, um, yeah, like, you know, just, I've experienced all the sort of retail microaggressions you'd probably expect. Um, a lot, you know, the stuff I listed, I guess. And, um, a lot of times like customers will ask you a question, not like your answer, go find a male coworker to ask the same question to that happens all the time. Um, uh, yeah, I've, not this didn't happen to me but um one of my female coworkers was um getting sexually harassed by um a male coworker of ours for months and um management wasn't really doing anything about it kind of hoping hope hoping it would just sort of fizzle out i guess um and she had to like actually go to court and get um a get a what's it called um Restraining order. Restraining order. Restraining order. Thank you. Um, <laughs> restraining order against him before the store would even fire him or um, make him, you know, not come on site. So, yeah, it, I think it's a really rampant problem um, among you know workers because you know we're seen as automatically sort of more vulnerable, less um, independent because you know people understand that we're sort of stuck there um, doing um, service industry labor. It's, but especially as women, you know, the amount of entitlement that um, both men in your workplace and members of the public feel towards your body and towards, um, yeah, getting to sort of voyeuristically consume it is, um, yeah, it's really something. Um, I, (laughs) And um, I should say at this time that um, uh, when my when my coworker was getting sexually harassed on the regular, um, the the store manager was a woman um, who was sort of ignoring these complaints and hoping they would go away. Um, and I think that's kind of illustrative of to bring it back um, the the problems with sort of girl boss culture. And um, I, I was also thinking about that when you mentioned the student debt. Um, disparity because uh just i think a lot of these ideals of um inclusion and the glass ceiling and you know having more women in power more representation um a lot of these ultimately end up with us sort of just partaking in more and more oppression <laughs> as as it goes and um having to become collaborators like my boss um at the store or having to be, uh, you know, kept neatly in place by think by mechanisms like debt that, you know, keep you sort of working within the system, keep you a, a part of the oppress the, the very system that's oppressing you. So, yeah. I mean, you put it so well, it's this idea that, um, 
we're not just concerned with some anecdotes about men being bad. We're concerned that um, the solutions are not as simple as we want them to be. Uh, it's not a matter of just getting a woman in there and that'll fix everything. And that more than anything points to it being a systemic issue and not a, um, and, uh, an instance issue or a thing that's becoming more common issue. It's like, no, there's something by design that is oppressing women. Um, and can I just say thank you all three of you for being so vulnerable. I'm kind of blown away. I don't know what my expectations were, but I think <laughs> I, this is probably part of my own um, issues with uh, how I relate to the patriarchy is they're they're worse than I was imagining. Um, and that's kind of heartbreaking because um, all three of you have, uh, well, Sierra and Amelia met uh, once upon a time, but y'all have not spent a ton of time together. You're from different parts of the country and um, you're still experiencing similar things. And, and it's truly breaking my heart. Um, it's I, I was getting a little emotional um, over here and man, I'm just so sorry um, that this has happened for what it's worth. Uh, and uh, the impact of this patriarchy is clearly, I mean, we're, ex- I'm feeling how it happens on an individual uh, level, because how could that not have affected, um, you know, y'all's childhood development, or even in adult life? Um, it's got to affect your self image, your self esteem and your views on on gender roles. And uh, maybe um, when it comes to the family, you know, patriarchal structures, put this unnecessary pressure and expectation on, you know, men to control their unit, um, and then the man's responsible for any failures. And, uh, you know, the, but then additionally, the women still get blamed for it somehow. And this hurts uh, both young boys and young girls and how they perceive their future uh, familial relations and wives, mothers and daughters are clearly suffering the most under the system because their freedom is so limited. And then when you uh, zoom out even further and look at the societal level, um, the patriarchal hierarchy has a negative impact on political policy. You know, what, what figures, whether they're celebrities, uh, political or what have you, um, whether they're revered or demonized, we can see men act a certain way and be revered and women act a certain way and be called anathema. And then uh, there's stereotypes concerning the labor force. And all of this fundamentally regresses our collective intelligence and health um, and is the furthest, furthest thing from progress towards um equality and unity and feel free to uh skip this question if you don't want to answer it but um i don't know is there like a way you could characterize um the greatest impact whether it's like personal or how you view families or society that you've seen in your lifetime from patriarchy and uh maybe it's not personal but just a general theme you've seen um I have something and it kind of ties in pretty well with a few things you said, John, you just mentioned health and um, Amelia, the way you brought up like the woman manager. um, I feel like personally in society, the biggest thing I've seen and has affected my life is um, women doctors and women's health um, and the vast disparity uh, in in that realm um, between men and women. Um, as I've gotten older, I've wanted to spend so <laughs> overwhelmed um, as I learn more and more about how unresearched women's health is for starters, like that we still have issues with endometriosis and PCOS and um, 
ovarian cysts, like all these issues that doctors don't know why they happen. They don't have really good solutions. And, and also even like when it comes to birth control, like, I mean, thank God for birth control, but also birth control gets over prescribed and, and no one really talks about the negative effects that it can have with much clarity. Um, it just kind of gets tossed out there to you. If you're a woman and you come in and say, I'm having this issue, it's like, Oh, well, here's this thing that fixes it. We have one, one option for you take this. Um, and if you're not on it, that also gives you really interesting responses. But again, all this is often, um, from women doctors. And so in my own life, um, how that's played out is one, I, I was, um, prescribed birth control before I was even being sexually active. Um, and not really educated about what I was taking. Um, but then there was also a time in my life where I was dealing with a lot of, um, yeast in uh, bacterial infection because of being over prescribed like, antibiotics. And I was trying to see doctors and get it fixed because it lasted for like seven months. Um, and the doctors got sick of me, the women doctors. And I went to try to see a new gynecologist and I guess she had like talked to my doctor and treated me um, really poorly. And she actually like sexually abused me, I guess is the only way I know how to describe it because I, I never had a manual exam done before. And she just did it without telling me she was going to, um, well, I was like already there, like on the table, like crying. I'm so overwhelmed. So, you know, tired of, of being in pain, so tired of not being taken seriously, of not being educated and being talked down to by all of these women doctors that I thought would have my back. And then to be like, to have that situation, to have my privacy invaded so severely in a doctor's office was, um, was, was awful. And so there's been some other health issues that I, I've walked through recently, and um, I've just continued to learn more about how um, even women's bodies, we often struggle with issues regarding like going to the bathroom correctly and, and learning how to use our pelvic floor muscles. And, and you can go into a doctor's office and tell them that you know, you're having issues with constipation and these really, really personal issues. And they will just literally tell you to drink more water. And then you learn that so many women uh, have, have issues with our pelvic floor and no one is talking about it and no one is educating us of, of what our body does. And we just are, are just put down. Um, it's, it makes me really sad uh, to know that that's still where we're at as a society in that women doctors, many of them are partaking in that structure um, and continue to just look at their patients through the same eyes as all their men counterparts. I'm really happy that I muted so that I don't interrupt you. I'm so enthusiastic about this story. I'm so enthusiastic about this story. I, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I honestly, like, I, I think that really all, um, people who um, experience womanhood um, are so mistreated um, in the medical community. And that is honestly why, I mean, there, there is so much information about my body that I am still learning now. Um, and um, I try to um, advocate for health and, and wellness, wellness knowledge, because I didn't get 
any. Um, truly, um, it's. I mean, did did you did you all know that it's it's systematic for teaching hospitals to perform um, pelvic exams um, on patients in. Uh, operating rooms, whether or not that is relevant to the operation or surgery that is happening because it's a teaching hospital and it's practice. And because patients agree to te- to go to teaching hospitals and they sign a waiver, they agree to be practice on, but they do not have to consent to that. That's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then it brings in other disparities. Like, because they're probably going there, right? Because they don't have the money to afford to mm-hmm. go to. Oh, yep. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know that. Y'all can fact check me on it. I don't know. I don't have the reference right now, but I remember being as shocked as I'm sure you are when I found that out. And unfortunately, not surprised. The first time I had a manual pelvic exam, I think I was seven years old and I didn't know it was going to happen. And it was Christmas Eve. And the only reason that there was a doctor there is because she was Jewish or no, it was Christmas Day and she was Jewish and that's why she was there. And she was blessedly kind, but I... I didn't know what was going to happen. I just knew that, you know, there were apparently two glands on each side of my vagina that I had never heard about. And one of them was so horribly swollen that my brother had to literally carry me into the ER because I couldn't walk. Um, and I, I, you know, it's just like so sad. The lot, And I still didn't really understand what that was about or what happened there until I was an adult because we just don't receive education. Um, and it's, it's so painfully common. Well, and certainly a lack of sex education, um, really does, um, affect us all on such horrifying levels and, um, definitely a symptom of the patriarchy is how, um, gruesomely, sorry, I am getting a little emotional, um, just, um, I, I yeah it's it's very upsetting because um if you put any ounce of empathy into it and put yourself in these circumstances that frankly I have not had to deal with at least um at any kind of um at least to the measure it seems y'all have and and it's very upsetting um to hear about but it's it's necessary information to put out there um because we're not going to be able to solve any problems um if we're not going to address them to begin with, are there, uh, Amelia, I want to hear from you. Um, it, it can still be on the medical thing or it can be something else. Uh, how, how, um, the patriarchy just greatly has impacted either your life or something you've observed. Well, I did just want to say while we're on the topic of like sexual education, I think there's a large connection between, um, between this and, uh, evangelicalism and the sort of attitude that it uh, has, especially towards young women about sort of keeping them in the dark about their own sexuality and their own bodies really, um, which I think is a part of wider sort of um, culture influence, the the cultural influence of Christianity on um, a lot of aspects of our society, the, the, down, the downplaying of the body the sort of um, treating it as, you know, gross or, you know, sinful or dangerous or impure. Um, yeah, I think there's a connection between um, wanting to keep, 
keep young women in the dark about these things and to the um, lack of research on um, women's, I guess, things specific to women um, in the medical field. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I would say uh, Christian teachings on gender roles are probably the biggest impact of patriarchy on my life because of um, how they just sort of drove me against the wall and, um, you know, brought about a lot of my dysphoria, a lot of my, um, just a lot of my gender issues um, (laughs) because of the sort of strict um, social gender regime that, um, Christianity enforces and I think we're going to talk about this but um you know in order to sort of perpetuate the patriarchy and perpetuate the family structure um there's a lot of individuals that that will always you know leave out and suppress and um you know keep them from being themselves in an authentic way and um yeah but obviously that affects women the most because of, you know, how we're expected to um, be this, play the supporting role, I guess, in um, the sort of complementary, complementary, complementarian um, ideology that a lot of evangelicals throw around. Um, that you know, we're the helpers, we're you know, the the rib of Adam and whatever. Um, but yeah, that has impacted the way I view myself, the way I've, you know, thought I could exist in the world. And it almost made me feel like I couldn't exist in the world. But, you know, luckily, I'm still here. <laughs> well, Amelia, I definitely get emotional when you talk because I was there um, for so much of it. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's truly heartbreaking. And uh, I think it's easy to, again, um, maybe politicize these issues and try to um, take the emotion out of it and try to analyze it. And we are about to do some of that. Uh, But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. It's an awful time for an ad, but uh, it is time for an ad. So we'll be right back. In a world full of toxic Christianity, one man has elected to change everything. What's his name? No, no, what's his name? (laughs) Oh, it's me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm John Verner, son of Timothy Verner. (laughs) That's my dad's real name. God help the poor guy. (laughs) I'm just out here trying to tell people Christianity's a cult. Yeah, he is. And he's even written a whole freaking book about it. And now you can read all about his opinions in The Cult of Christianity by John Verner. Yeah, you should go buy my book, guys. It helps me buy Taco Bell. So this next segment, I'm going to um, address some of the counter arguments that I have heard throughout my life to, um, to criticisms of the patriarchy. Uh, some of these I have wandered through myself um, as a dude, and some I have even like um, argued in in uh, in my past. Um, this is mostly, though, actually pretty much entirely a uh, devil's advocate. Um, 
type of type of exercise. And I want to address these counter arguments um, because maybe they're floating through um, the listener's mind, or maybe you don't know how to uh, answer uh, some of these counter arguments when you um, when they're presented to you. So the first one, and this is one that came from a Bible professor of mine, and this is again in a general sense, not talking about um, Christian patriarchy to say, but just talking about patriarchal structure structures in general. And I'll I'll put this question out there to you, ladies, and see how you feel about it. Um, the The argument goes something like: Is patriarchy inherently evil? I mean, if men are in charge, is that automatically wrong? I mean, societies need some semblance of order and structure. At least that's how the argument goes. So perhaps putting a man in charge is just an efficient way of saying let's structure a society some way or another. And we'll just give it to men, whether they're good or bad at it. Um, have you all heard this argument before? And if so, or if not, how would you address it? I think the easiest way to deconstruct it or kind of watch it be de- deconstructed rather from someone else is then ask the question, why isn't the default being being given to women? What What's the problem with that? And then oftentimes you will then hear a continuation of, uh, true beliefs of of um, why men think that women cannot mentally handle uh, these concepts or these um, uh, huge things in life, why they are literally not capable for doing it. So if you ask, you know, well, why is it that the default is is a masculine one? Then oftentimes, you know, you can kind of hear back, uh, well, it's because women are incapable of it. And then that is kind of when you start to see, well, that is where the problem lies. It's because of your view of women. It's funny, John, because when I saw this question, I immediately thought, wow, that's some dualistic Christianese. Like, and then you're like, oh, this is from one of our uh, Christian professors or whatever. Because um, I feel like the phrase, I mean, just a question, is patriarchy inherently evil? It's just such a loaded undefined question and i can see straight through the whole thing of like well none of this none of this gets to the point what is the point of asking any of these questions like what what does it mean for something to be inherently evil no one no one can give a straight answer for that but the real question is is what is happening with the power that is being kept at the top in a patriarchal system what is being done with that power and over time who is that benefiting and who is that hurting um and have we ever seen it actually work favorably for everyone and even if it wasn't patriarchal if it was still matriarchal if it was any any system where there was one group of people at the top with all the power is that helpful um, I think that's more of like the question that needs to be discussed and not, is it inherently evil? Evil is also up to interpretation too. Sure. Let me, let me sharpen it a little because uh, yeah, you can totally dismiss it in both those ways, right? You can say, well, why not a matriarchy? And, or you could dismiss it and say, um, what is inherently evil? But, but let's try to get maybe a little bit more in the weeds here. Um, 
I think if I could encapsulate uh, the type of person I've heard this argument from, what they're really trying to get at is uh, they're responding to a tone of those of us who critique the patriarchy. And they're like, well, is is it is it actually wrong or is it just something that kind of is Um, maybe another way to put it is, is patriarchy intentionally designed? I mean, I don't think there's a secret meeting between the richest, whitest men in society, or if there is, uh, it's not just um, them pontificating about how to preserve uh, a patriarchy. Um, But uh, is, I think they're trying to get at, is this just a natural consequence that's somehow inescapable. Do patriarchies just kind of form on their own? Well, I was just going to say we we can't say that they're inescapable because there are there have been there are now various theories state that you know there originally most of human society was matriarchal. Um, but like regardless of that, you know the we, no one can prove that anything is or isn't sort of inevitable because. That's, you know, that's an absurdity. We can't say what else could have happened. We can only say what has happened. Um, so I think th- that goes back. It's kind of a similar question, honestly, to is it evil? Because um, who gets to define what's right and wrong? What's what's determined? What's inevitable? What's inescapable? Is the people in power? That's one of the reasons you want to hold power as a group, I think, is um to sort of structure the rules whether those are sort of like rules about knowledge of what is possible or rules about what should or shouldn't be done um so yeah of course the problem there is one group getting to set those rules over the other group at their expense um and that's sort of like I guess the way power always works. Well, I actually was going to say like it's very similar to you, Amelia, because I have um, this thing written down that um, I was talking to Chris about. He was listening to this podcast, Tides of History podcast, and there was talking about um, how patriarchy only arose as a system at the same time agriculture was invented. And so that was about 10,000 years ago. But if humans, yeah. Humans have been around for two hundred thousand years. Then there's so much more that's time that has passed where we actually haven't been in a patriarchal system. But the one thing that has persisted throughout, like all of recorded history that we have, is that there has been violence against women. Um, that when they like look at um, bones and you know, uncover um, stuff in archaeolo- archaeological digs, they find that the same type of abuse that you would see now on a victim um, in the hospital is still the same kind of abuse that was happening thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, And so that just led me to be thinking more about like, you know, there, there are certain markers of men having more muscle mass and, and women sounds not completely cool to say, but I, I think there's truth to it. Women being more vulnerable, in that when you think about um, us, you know, being pregnant, going through pregnancy, menstruating, and the lack of resources that for most of humanity that we've had in regards to that and the ways we've continued to not have adequate um, 
help in those areas. Like we, we are vulnerable in some ways and, and men have been able to, um, when agriculture, when a system needed to be in place, when manual labor needed to happen, when they could use their physicality to push us down, they did. And that's how the system persisted. But if we could address some of these issues, like making sure women have more access to health resources, making sure women, you know, aren't being paid less at work because of how, you know, we could become pregnant and not be able to be as reliable as a man. Like if these things were addressed, would patriarchy be inescapable? No, I think that easily these ways, like these things would continue to shift in the way that we've seen. It just needs to continue to be addressed more and more. The question of um, is patriarchy inherently evil? Unfortunately, that kind of in itself is another way of saying, um, you know, in like in a childish term, I took your ball, now take it back. Because um, patriarchy actually trickled down from an economic thing that happened with agriculture, just like Sierra was talking about. Um, the patriarchy stemmed from women not having the ability and access to both a have bank accounts in their own name b the ability to own any land or uh, home in their own name which is also impossible without a bank account in your own name and also just kind of just from societal and survival modes having to kind of get married and continue on this life because if you can't have a bank account and if you can't have a job then obviously you can't survive so um you're gonna be a wife and you're gonna try to find happiness eventually when your kids can leave you alone and try you can try and find your own hobbies to survive obviously we're past that now but female monogamy actually came from um uh women not being able to have um, bank accounts and land in their own name and men uh, needed to know who their offspring were in order to pass down their land to them so in order to pass down um, their farmlands to you know traditionally their oldest son they had to know who their offspring was so that meant that the women had to be monogamous to only their husbands um, and uh, that kind of falls into they also had to approve their their purchases that they made. I wonder if I can uh, dissect maybe where some of the conversation gets to talking past each other. Because um, all of the points being brought up, by the way, are just very helpful um, to the conversation. Um, but I, I think at least from... If I could kind of emulate the the or stereotype the kind of people I've heard um, these counter arguments um, come from, maybe there's like a, and me and Amelia uh, off off podcast have talked about this concept a lot. Just idealism versus materialism. What what we can consider con uh, concepts in a vacuum, or we can actually just look at the numbers and what has happened. And I think sometimes you kind of have to do both. Um, and I think one of the problems with people who um, are antsy about um, talking about the patriarchy and potentially dismantling it is they're going, well, what I understand that like there's bad things in history about the patriarchy, but but in an ideal world, dot, dot, dot. And of course, we're not in an ideal world. So that's not the greatest way 
um, to lead a conversation. But at the same time, maybe we can have some empathy for them and realize, okay, you're, you're viewing your worldview is um, definitely got different presuppositions than I do. But at the same time, uh, maybe you're pointing at something, just the wrong thing. So a way to blow this con- uh, conversation up is, co- is the people who just go, well, does the patriarchy really exist? I mean, are, are we just connecting dots when we talk about the patriarchy that might not um, connect? Because there's plenty of disheartening statistics as far as male suicide rate, um, how many men die in war. There's all these tragic anecdotes about men um, being victims of domestic violence, but then like no one caring for them. Uh, there's bank accounts that have been demolished um, in divorces through child support and unjust laws. And a general online rhetoric sometimes, especially on like leftist Twitter or whatever, seems to like really demonize and shame men. And uh, so men's right activists, a group that I'm not particularly fond of, um, they connect all those dots and say, well, actually, not only is there no patriarchy, but men are the ones being oppressed. And uh, I am not the only one who considers these these people um, ignorant and pariah, but what is wrong with them connecting those dots and claiming the U S has a matriarchy and are the waters as muddy as they seem to make them? Well, it's the, the problem is that they are pointing to these problems and they're not seeing that they are the ones that created the rules. We would love, love, love to help eradicate these problems. Please help us by taking away toxic masculinity there. If you create the rules, Unfortunately, that's that's what happened. And there's been such this really sad kind of setting of what men are supposed to be. And that has unfortunately stemmed from the same gender roles and stereotypes. Yeah, I think we can look at most of these examples and see how they are actually, you know, the direct result of patriarchy, like talking about, um, you know, men feeling oppressed by alimony payments or whatever. Um, It's the whole patriarchal institution of marriage that assumes that the woman is going to be, you know, have her hands full raising his kids and doing his dishes and washing his laundry. So she couldn't possibly have time to go out and be making her own money. So, you know, those laws come from a point of trying to solve a, an inherently patriarchal problem. Um, and, you know, the, the inability to see past that, I think is where men start to feel like they're the ones being oppressed. Um, or, you know, talking about suicide rates and, um, you know, having their, their problems shoved aside and all of this. Um, obviously, the expectation of men to be tough and to fit this, you know, masculine role is very high. I think especially in the societies that a lot of these young men come from um, who, you know, start to feel heard about feminism or whatever um i think a lot of times they're victims in a in a lesser way obviously but they're victims of the same gender system um that they're you know trying to support yeah i totally see what you're talking about um and i feel like as well i see this i'm kind of thinking more about that whole question of like just can you claim the u.s as a matriarchy um like along with you know that with these men saying like okay well this is the way i've um been hurt which we would attribute to patriarchy there's also ways they say well look at 
the extremism on the other end um, and point fingers that way. And as I've wrestled with this and honestly, lots of other areas where there's, um, um, you know, minorities bringing up issues and there's, there's finger pointing in our politics. I think about the United States and how dualistic our society is um, in part because of evangelicalism. There's just really not much room for nuance. And so something I feel like you see all the time is that the the pendulum has been swung over to one side for a really, really long time. And the whole time it's gaining energy and momentum. And finally it gets released and it's going to just swing so far to the other end. Um, and not everyone has that reaction, but it's definitely a, a just one. It's definitely expected. It shouldn't be a surprise and it shouldn't be what we point fingers at and say, then that means that, you know, it wasn't over to the left that whole time. And now, um, just because we see the pendulum on the right side, like it, it's just the way that, that people respond in the way that as we shift through time and our culture makes changes, that the pendulum swings back and forth, back and forth until maybe hopefully finally on a specific issue, it rests again back in the middle with some equilibrium, hopefully. And I hope that that can happen over time. And, um, we can reach that point. Like we were talking about at the beginning where it's not girl boss and it's not having to say, wow, it's so cool. She's a woman. And, um, but that, you know, we, it, there is equality. Um, but I think that, yeah, just holding that idea of the dualism in the, in the swinging of energy really explains why men could in this group could see, um, see that that big swing um and they can't they can't point at that and then blame blame feminists that's that's illogical yeah i think y'all are uh this is why y'all are on this podcast and i'm not just pontificating by myself i think you uh all have communicated very effectively against these arguments um maybe to just kind of further reiterate uh I think it's it's very I I am of the opinion as well that most problems that men have with either feminism or um in gen- general talks of dismantling the patriarchy stems from just this fear of um loss of control which is actually evidence that a patriarchy probably exists and probably does bad things um and I think maybe men are used to being very coddled on some of these topics and not spoken to, um, uh, you know, as directly as they need to hear that when, when when you feel conflict in your life, especially as it relates um, maybe to some like uh, gender structural stuff, you don't get to assume that... Um, that that every, the world is structured against you just because there's conflict and that i think is one of the ultimate male privileges is that if there's conflict you get to be victim whether or not you are one meanwhile uh on the you know people who are uh non cisgender men have to uh like <laughs> actually be victims and not be um respected as such um, and it's truly tragic. And I, I, I wish this argument kind of um, 
did take the idealism out and looked at uh, both history and the numbers, um, because I think that is the most effective way to do it. And uh, the false equivalent uh, equivalence of, oh, well, maybe women this at work, but men this with suicide is just the wrong way to approach it. The right way to approach it probably looks more like you have this stat that points to a problem. Let's deconstruct why that problem exists. Now, here's another stat that's a problem. Let's deconstruct why it exists instead of just kind of, yeah, pendulum swinging and finger pointing at the other gender. Well, I have unfortunately heard stereotypes about men from men that definitely prove the patriarchy. I mean, I have heard from men, like, unfortunately, several men uh, and phrased in different ways that, um, boys can't be raped boys can't be sexually assaulted which is obviously horrific and untrue and that trope unfortunately comes from this really horrific portrayal of um you know teach like you know teachers or um you know mrs robinson or you know just kind of viewing boys in this really um sad and shameful way of just kind of um honestly victim shaming um boys and gaslighting them into believing that they are inherently bad and evil because um this is definitely what they want um and that breaks my heart um really more than i can even say um and that trope comes from or tropes exactly like that come from um, patriarchal stances and views of um, gender and and victim blaming, um, and unfortunately, the um, the stats um, that show that how men often are victims of suicide and um, you know really sad and serious things. It's just kind of like, well, no wonder. Um, you know, they're being um, gaslit and painted into a corner their entire lives um, by the same people that unfortunately are telling them that they also have all the control. Well, definitely, I'm pretty convinced uh, patriarchy not only exists, but is doing um, horrific damage and on a large scale just in the country. Uh, it only gets a little bit more depressing when you start looking into uh, patriarchy in church. Now, all three of us grew up um, going to Christian churches, um, and so I'm sure a lot of this will overlap with our experiential knowledge as well as our um, intellectual knowledge. Uh, Christians claim that the Bible supports a patriarchal system, um, at least in the U.S., and perhaps they're right. Uh, most famous biblical characters we are familiar with were men. Um, and indeed, the origins of humanity, as told in Genesis, establish a male uh, rule of nature and suggest that the man's existence um, predicates a woman's. And further, God, or at least Jesus, is a male figure. Ironically, Jesus seems to be quite the feminist, uh, relative to the time, of course. More than once, he um, seemed to speak in spite of patriarchy to women who were viewed as less than and seemed to blame men for many of the issues in that era. And then you go to the Pauline epistles, and it seems Paul is much less a fan of women, boldly stating that he did not let them speak in his church and discouraged marriage 
uh, literally unless a dude could not help his horniness. So, ladies, is there any case that can be made that the Bible is pro-women? I'm a nope. (laughs) I remember trying really hard to find um, feminist icons in the Bible when I was trying really hard to cling on to my Christianity. And I was like, oh my god, Deborah is the VIP. She's the coolest judge ever. Look at Tamara doing what she had to do, which (laughs) that's not what happened. What about Esther, Lily? What about Esther? Oh my god, Esther... She literally saved a whole culture by giving the best blowjob in history. Let's talk about <laughs> Esther. I'm, la- I'm, I'm glad my mic was muted because I just bursted out laughing so loud. Oh my gosh. <laughs> literally, like, how was no one talking about that that's what happened? <laughs> like, if you, like, if anyone studies theology and you're like, hmm, look at this story. There's interesting thing. Yeah. It's anyway, it's just um it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um it's if people are desperate enough, it's um, you know, you can try to find um a kind of proof that there are women um that are looked up to in in the Bible. And honestly, I don't have a problem with, with Jesus. He actually seemed to be like a, a pretty like woman cool dude. Um, honestly, from from everything that I've studied and 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 know, um, uh, you know, I don't really have much to pontificate on on that. You know, he was he was down with prostitutes and taxpayers, as we all know. And you know, I remember asking questions um, regarding, uh, you know, hey, why can't I? Why? How come it says in the Bible that I can't speak in church and I can't braid my hair? And um, I, you know, I was always a really annoying kid because I asked. A lot of questions and most of the people really didn't want to answer um and you know i was kind of given like oh well you know paul was writing these letters out of context you have to look at the context he was actually addressing these problems where um you know women were signifying that they were prostitutes um by braiding their hair you know so that's that's why you couldn't braid your hair like at the time of course you can braid your hair now and oh well it says that um you couldn't speak in church because these women were causing disruptions by standing up and speaking in church and they were disrupting the sermon you can't do that so he was he was addressing that which you know as an adult makes me wonder like hmm good for those women i wonder what they're speaking up about um but of course everything um had content i really love all the excuses um that get made in in this conversation like what you're saying lily about like you know, them trying to say, oh, well, you know, Paul actually meant my other favorite thing that I've noticed is, um, you know, obviously there's way more male pronouns being thrown out all over the place for promises, for us being told to do things, commandments, for you know, whatever. It's it's very male centered. And so, you know, growing up, everyone's like, oh, well, actually, you know, it means it means all of us. Um like when it says he, it means it means everyone, men and women. And you're like, okay. Um, so then, you know, working for um, a Bible app, like you would be uh, astounded to find out how many people would write in um, telling us that we were heretics and sending people to hell because we offered a Bible translation that actually made most of the pronouns gender neutral in that regard to, you know, answer that cultural 
issue that we we always say, right, that, that that's what it means. But people have actually a huge issue when when it actually is written dynamically. And so what is the real problem there? What it, what are you holding on to? What ideological point is feels so like you have to hold it so close to your chest that you say one thing, but you can't actually let it go in the other. Like it's the Bible <laughs> the Bible is definitely written um in a way that disparages women. I mean, just going by people's reactions to like changing general human pronouns, how do you think they would react to changing the pronouns of God? I mean, I think that's very much at the root of or connected to the root of um, why this sort of patriarchal interpretation of the Bible. Because, yeah, Christians are very good at interpreting the Bible any way they need to you know, to address whatever problem comes up, because that's kind of, for Bible-based Christianity, I think that's sort of the big, like, epistemological move you have to make, is how can I gel this with the Bible? Um, So I think a non-patriarchal or um, a critical, um, a, a view that's critical of the patriarchy in scripture is certainly possible from Christians. Um, but the, I think the reason that that hasn't been so dominant, um, in evangelical Christianity is sort of more to the point maybe. Um, because yeah, the, the male God, the masculine God, if you don't want to call God male, um, the, the connection to the father image is, um, really central. And I think that's not a coincidence. That's actually fascinating. You brought up that specific thing because there are so many books, Christian books by Christian authors where they try to talk about, um, you know, how in Aramaic, uh, when Jesus is teaching like our father who art in heaven, the in Aramaic, that would be a much more general term. That would just mean parental unit. And a lot of Christian authors will like kind of do this, um, uh, verbal jujitsu to try to make the Bible seem pro women, and that's actually not the same as having a critical, um, critical uh, understanding of the context that Scripture was written in. It's totally fine to say, you know, maybe Paul had some good points and maybe Paul had some bad points, but that's not what evangelicals do. What they do is say, well, Paul had a God-ordained, inspired, and errant reason for phrasing it exactly the way he did. And that, more than anything, I feel like really does solidify um, in Bible-based Christianity uh, the the patriarchy and the continuation, or at least the authority um, they get that they're prescribed patriarchy from. Like, I think that's one way of looking at it, right? Like, okay, there's these patriarchal systems. Maybe it was set up in Bible times. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, but people still use the Bible to justify that. And they're just doing it to be obedient. But I think, uh, I think we can be more critical of evangelicals than that. Um, according to a study sponsored by uh, Lifeway Christian Resources, 
10% of Protestant churchgoers under 35 have previously left a church because they felt sexual misconduct was not taken seriously. That's twice as many as the 5% of all churchgoers who have done the same. And among the younger demographic, 9% said they have stopped attending a former congregation because they personally did not feel safe from misconduct and churchgoers ages 18 to 34 are more likely than older generations to report to report experiencing sexual harassment at church and to know others in the church who are victims i have also read studies that as high as 35 percent of married women in the church have been hit by their husband at least once further it seems going to church increases your chances of being abused sexually physically and most certainly verbally Multiple cases of high-profile pastors and theologians abusing countless women can be found. The patriarchal system conveniently protects men while women suffer. I think, um, and I'll open this up, but, but I think Christianity gives men license to act without consequences. Um, have y'all either experienced that to be true or uh, feel similarly? I mean, I think that it has been changing some, like... I don't know. I was just thinking like, it's not that there aren't any consequences. There's starting to be a few. I mean, like the way some people are responding to Rob Zacharias, it needs to be worse. It definitely does. And there's, you know, like Jerry Falwell Jr. Like losing his position at Liberty. Like the issue is that it's not, the consequences aren't big enough and they aren't happening soon enough, especially in comparison to the fact that women are often reprimanded well before we've even done anything wrong. For us, all it takes is wearing a short skirt to get called out publicly. Um, meanwhile, men can abuse their wives and just be told, well, we just need to, we just need to, you know, have some biblical counsel. And, th- and that's where it's just absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't, I don't want to speak too um, explicitly about other people's experiences, um, but I have seen countless times where there have been women who have been suffering um, any various form of abuse from their husband, be it physical, emotional, verbal, um, sometimes even spiritual, honestly. And they have taken those um, issues up with their pastor or. Uh, the leadership in their church. And unfortunately, it's really common in a lot of denominations to put the responsibility of that back on the woman, because after all, it is your responsibility to love him and submit to him. So if you are not loving and submitting to him as he does to the Lord, which the Bible instructs you to do, then this is, you know, his reaction to it you need to kind of love him out of the abuse you need to give him christ's grace out of the abuse because after all that's what christ does and it's so sad um and unfortunately i mean i um i'm speaking to other people's experience there because it's involving marriage it's and i have not myself been married and that's kind of like a black and white um view but um i i certainly have felt really unsafe um and just kind of really normalized ways in various uh youth groups and um churches and it was just kind of a um it's just kind of what being a girl is about um your body is just constantly monitored um it's just how it is unfortunately you know if you you certainly cannot be wearing a skirt if you're going to be doing any rigorous activity 
you know, you can't, you know, your, your shorts have to be a, a certain length. Otherwise, you know, what kind of attention is it that you're looking for and why? And after all, it really probably is because you don't have a father, do you? So, oh, you poor thing. That's why your shorts are so short. And it's just exhausting. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's just a, a day-to-day thing that is just part of the culture. I want to add um, <clears throat> that uh, growing up the way I did, um, I'm very glad for the parents I had, um, certainly, uh, especially for their age, um, more pro-women um, than many of the parents around me, um, and certainly did their best to treat me, uh, to teach me how to um, treat women with respect. And one of the most hurtful facts when I just diagnosed myself is realizing what an influence the church had and how I can directly tie some of my bad behavior towards women to the implicit patterns of how men act in church. Um, and I'm glad to be in the process of unlearning a lot of that. Um, but it, it contributed to the end of my marriage and it contributed to, um, to uh, isolated incidents of me treating <clears throat> different women very badly um, and just viewing them incorrectly. And uh, yeah, you, you brought up um, Ravi Zacharias and Jerry Falwell. You can, um, but you can even point to um, very close to home, uh, not far from where I live, 45 minutes from here. Um, a man went into a masseuse parlor and um, shot women, killed them because he had stereotyped them as um, being the cause of his own problems. And um, I'm getting very tired of there being a lack of concern for the severity and the deeply ingrained, nat- deeply ingrained nature of these problems. Um, and I can always apologize for my own actions in the past. I can always apologize for who I am. Um, but I can't take responsibility for all men, unfortunately. I almost wish I could because something has to be done. And uh, it's very disheartening. And I'm just so sorry that y'all have to experience this um, in different ways. Well, for whatever it's worth, um, you know, and I, I, I welcome, you know, Sierra and Amelia's kind of input on this too, but, um, forever, whatever it's worth, um, unfortunately, because of how, um, these different kind of systematic, well, systems, problems are set up, um, white men or white straight presenting men, um, are in a lot of ways, um, the best way to speak to it because you are who is listened to the most. And if women or people who appear to be women are already uh, dehumanized or not listened to or not taken seriously, then our protests obviously will not also be taken seriously. So, um, you know, if, you know, it's, it's really, really valuable to, um, you know, see any kind of, of correction, honestly, and just evaluate 
any kind of problem honestly and that doesn't need to mean anything personal about you because obviously it came from somewhere right and then you know but, but speaking to that is really the best platform for it to come from so honestly it's um you know the the emotional labor that you're doing there is really important um and i know that we genuinely appreciate it one last comment on um patriarchy and church i have one theory it's the theory i put in my book and it's as to why churches are committed to preserving patriarchal power so if a family a family unit has one head that means a cult leader can control an entire family through that one member and if all the family heads are men manipulation is even easier with a sinister benefit that men are more prone to be violent in other words if you have a template for how to operate your cults, it's a lot easier to maintain col- uh, control of um, an entire family rather than just each individual member of a family if you continually put forth this idea that the man is the head of the house. And church leaders may not directly order husbands to beat their wives and children into submission, but we know they tolerate it based on statistics. Cults need to control entire households, and a patriarchal family structure simply makes the job easier. And I want you all to know in regards to this theory, am I being unfair in stereotyping men as violent or easy to manipulate? Or is the cult of Christianity malice in their preservation of the patriarchy? Is this uh, very intentional? Well, I think I always end up somewhere in the middle on things. Like, it's hard when you know there are definitely people who use systems to their advantage um, very methodically and well thought out. Um, And at the same time, that doesn't mean that everyone is that way either. And so I was like, when I was pondering this question, I was thinking about how, you know, some for some people that is their drive and the reason why, like, you know, having the power is what continues to push them down this route of, um, manipulating and and structuring things in a certain way. But I feel like there's also this other, um, this other item that the church is a slave to, which is just the language that has been attributed to evangelicalism. Um, For instance, like I think about how a lot of times people who mean really well in the church, when you talk about complementarianism and egalitarianism, they'll even start to try to describe complementarianism in a way that really sounds like it's egalitarian because <laughs> um, they don't want it to be bad. They don't want it to be evil. Um, they, they genuinely want what's best, but they feel so like, they, they know they're going to be ousted if they don't use the same language. There is a punishment for not using the same language. And so despite this language not serving us and being manipulative and making room for abuse and causing so many hosts of problems, if my faith, if my eternal sanctification, if my inclusion, if my everything, my entire world present and future rests on using the same language as these other people, I guess I'm going to stick to it. How could I not? Um, And that's definitely where it it reaches that line of being a cult. Um, So 
yeah, I think, does that make sense? Like that there's, there's two things that they're, they're a slave to. Um, and some people are doing it intentionally and some people are doing it because it feels like it's what is demanded of them. Well, it's certainly true um, that language has a lot of power in these issues and uh, cliches and tropes prevail a lot longer than they should often. I also love that you brought up the point that um, there's consequences if you start deviating from the proper language or there's, uh, you know, whether they're they're small or severe, you know, in the, in the more severe case, it's the threat of hell. Um, in the more commonplace, it's just an ugly look from your peers. And both of those contribute um, to sustaining the system. So I think that's very well put. Yeah, that's such a good point, too, about um, the sort of positive framing of complementary gender roles and how, you know, it's not that men are supposed to be dominant. It's that, you know, they're supposed to be service leaders or, you know, it takes humility to lead your wife and all of this. Um, I think what John points out is a really good example of why that framing is still violent because, um, you know, it's grooming men to um to be in a position to wield violence because you know power can't be maintained without violence on some level ultimately and um i think when we look at the question of why like are men prone to being more violent i think anyone in a position of power over others is more prone to being violent because you know you get scared of losing the power and um yeah grooming men to be leaders of families like that even when you put it in a positive light um yeah obviously it's it's a part of the control mechanism i think not just of the church but of um, society at large but the church is such an interesting example of it because it's 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 made clear it's made explicit it's talked about as a good thing it's not sort of um obscured at all yeah, it almost makes me wish that I could just, you know, automatically have research on on this. But I wonder if the way of um, continuing the the patriarchal structure, but finding these like nuanced, positive ways to talk about it, like you were just describing, Amelia, that actually ends up making even more room for abuse um, because we're just giving more fuel to finding ways to use language to to serve those actions that they can just keep finding ways to make it acceptable um, to, to what is the word I'm looking for to, to make it seem righteous um, to hide it behind something else. Um, I'm sure that probably is an issue. If I can just interject real quickly and then I want to hear from Lily, if she has anything to say about this, but um, I also wanted to uh, mention that, uh, when maybe you're, you know, there might be a Christian listening to this, particularly skeptical of some of the things I've said in the past and I'm saying now, I want to, you know, wants more data, wants me to prove my point more. Within Christianity, especially white evangelicalism, it is so tough to gather data because there's very little honest self-reporting. There's very little allowance for outside reporting. There's virtually no accountability on any mass scale so even gathering data is very hard and in fact the way you have to look at some of the data that's collected is that um for example like a very common thing people say is 50 percent of pastors are willing to admit that they have porn addictions 
that's who are willing to admit it. The proper way to actually look at that data, if you're um, looking at it with a critical and realistic eye, is that it's probably way higher than 50%. And that's true even when I bring up the these studies that say um, 30% of married women have, you know, experienced abuse from their husband, physical abuse from their husband at least once. Like that's probably underestimating it. And you can disagree with me on that. But the fact is, we both have to shrug at each other because one of the problematic things is you can't even gather accurate data to begin with. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I assume that you're probably um, asking me this question because or specifically because I um, grew up pretty off the grid um, and I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting kind of dichotomy, right? Because, um, you know, in a kind of literal sense, you're hearing um, prove it to me, which is, you know, all right, that's fine. You know, if you want to see the numbers, that's all right. But um, on the other hand, then if I can't prove it to you, then what is it not happening? You know, Um, because there's there could be countless reasons why there's no numbers to it you know i mean um christianity it's it's so common to see that in um rural areas right it's you know however you want to frame it whether it's um memefied or you happen to also just you know live on a farm growing up um maybe you don't go to church regularly um but it's still a part of your whole life so how are you supposed to prove your whole life? How are you supposed to prove um, everything that you've ever known? How are you supposed to prove things that is already just your basis of reality? It's your default. Um, it's normalized. It's it's not even, um, you know, it's so often I see um, Christian women as being... Um, anti-feminist or anti, um, you know, feminist movement, whether you take the word away from it or not, basically just um, against uh, female individuality, female power, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's, unfortunately, it's because it's so insidious, they don't even see a lot of the problems. And it's not because they're stupid. It's because they're so used to it. You know, they're not stupid. I don't think they're stupid. It's just because it's their life. Um, that's the way that they think. They don't, it's not that they don't know any better, per se. It's just that, you know, really, they don't know that they can say something. They don't know that there's something to talk about. And then, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, um, you know, you can kind of see this culture shock of, wait, that wasn't normal? This isn't everyone's experience. I had options, you know, and it's just, um, it's really frustrating um, to look back on because in a lot of ways you kind of feel like you were gaslit into having a hand in your own oppression um, because you're taught to love this spirituality and this religion and this community and it's all that you have and it's your whole personhood, but it's the same thing that's hurting you and you don't really know that you should leave it you know because it's something 
that you love very much like a relationship, but even more so than a relationship, it's also your whole sense of existential eternity and world structure and creation. You know, it's it's everything. You would have to walk away from how you believe that the world was created. You would have to question whether or not your own existence is okay. Um, and so rather than kind of rock your own, the own boat of your world, I guess, it's just a lot less of a problem personally in a lot of cases to just keep going, keep going along with what you know and what's quote unquote safe. Well, I don't think I can tie things together much better than that. I will say that um, this earth shattering kind of deconstruction applies to both um, Christianity as a whole and probably to patriarchy in general um, and it's necessary work. And I just want to say, I'm so glad um, that all of y'all were able to make it and contribute to this. This has been great. I don't mean to put anyone on the spot, um, but if anyone has anything they want to pl- plug or promote, it can be uh, related or very unrelated. We'll start with Abelia. I'm sure she has something to promote um, and then go on down the line. Um, I don't have nothing to promote. If you want to listen to my noise music, it's at liia.bandcamp.com. <laughs> I want to listen to your noise music, so I'll make sure to do that. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Amelia. I love you so much, and I can't wait to see you in a couple months. Uh, Sierra, did you have anything you want to promote or anything? It can be social media or just charities or anything. It doesn't matter. (laughs) No, I don't have anything. I'm just little old me, but this was really fun, and I'm glad I got to meet you, Lily, and talk to you again, Amelia. This has been really good. I was just going to say that I'm obsessed with talking to you guys, and I really hope that we can do it more off of uh, recording. I'm, this has been a, a, a really good um, interaction. I really appreciate it. Well, I already got an opportunity to plug Sweet Words Witch, and I'm always really happy to um, you know, be a part of Dialect. But I really, really want to plug uh, the Trevor Project. It's the leading national organization providing uh, crisis intervention and suicide prevention, especially for queer youth and especially for queer youth that don't have a home or they don't feel safe in their own home. Uh, and there's a trevorproject.org slash help, or the lifeline is 866-488-7386. I'll go ahead and uh, call an audible here. Anyone who uh, uh, just sends me a message, if you know me, who donates to the Trevor uh, Project um, within uh, the next week, I'll uh, I'll match funds up to 50 bucks. Um, and uh, I just want to say, ladies, thank you so much. Um, it's been a tough episode, but a important episode. Um, and y'all have been absolutely wonderful. And I hope um, through COVID and hopefully uh, we get all vaxxed up and uh, the trend starts to go downward and we're all able to give each other hugs at some point because uh, I would absolutely um, need that after after hearing um, y'all's testimony to this issue and also your just intelligent analysis of uh of all these complex problems uh thank you for listening and uh i'll talk to y'all soon if you wish to learn more about what's going on in my life or wish to purchase my book go to vernerbooks.com if you'd like to support this podcast please continue to listen follow share and consider supporting through the link in the show's notes For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help me book guests, upgrade my production value, 
and start exciting projects. Thank you for listening, and remember to keep love in your life, hope in your heart, and searching in your soul.